Welcome to Legal Finance Insights, the podcast that takes you inside the legal finance industry. I'm your host, Pip Murphy, CEO of the Association of Litigation Funders of Australia. Join me as I interview key players, uncover the latest trends, and provide invaluable tips and tricks to accessing, obtaining, and using legal finance. We hope that Legal Finance Insights becomes your go-to resource for enhancing and improving your understanding of the legal finance industry. Thank you for joining us today for the next Legal Finance Insights podcast. Today, we're joined by Brendan Reid of Quartermentha. Brendan is a former detective from the Queensland Police High Tech Crime Investigation Unit with experience investigating criminal and civil matters and helping clients to navigate technologies and their use in the collection and preservation of evidence. With over 19 years' experience in giving evidence in criminal and civil cases, Brendan assists clients in stressful situations by clarifying technology something we could all benefit from, I suspect. Brendan specialises in the investigation of cyber incidents and has an open collaborative style. He communicates clearly with any audience, regardless of the complexity of the issues. Brendan has been appointed as an independent expert in a number of matters before the Supreme Court of Queensland and the Queensland Industrial Relations Commission relating to matters of intellectual property theft, fraud, misconduct, as well as civil matters. Brendan has extensive experience in the preparation of expert reports, affidavits, and giving oral testimony in proceedings. Within the community, Brendan is the current Secretary of the Brisbane Chapter of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Brendan has kindly agreed to join us today to talk about the recent rise in cyber breaches in Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brendan. Before we get started, I've got a question for you, and that is, if I bumped into one of your colleagues in the office today, what do you think that they would say about you and your area of practice? Well, uh, firstly, yeah, hi, Pip. Thanks for uh, having me here. Great question. I would say that they would see me as very passionate about technology, in particular about how you can use technology in an investigation point of view, looking at different technologies, whether it be cloud-based technology, personal devices, whatever it might be, in the context of an investigation to identify from a factual perspective, a timeline of events to determine whether an event may or may not have happened. Okay, thank you for that. Gives our listeners some insights into your background and, and what you are passionate about, as you said. Moving to the main topic of the podcast, the rise of cyber breach claims in Australia in recent times. We are seeing more of these than we ever have before. And you have been saying for a few years now that considering the pace at which cyber incidents are unfolding internationally, it's highly likely to be a case of when, not if, similar lawsuits are seen here. Can you set a scene for us about what has been the situation regarding cyber breaches in the recent past in Australia? and overseas. Yeah, sure. You're quite right that we are seeing a rise in terms of cyber breaches. It's not something that is new, though, however, to Australia. In my previous role in law enforcement, I was seeing cyber breaches happening on a daily basis to Australians that were being affected. The situation we're dealing with now is that those breaches are now coming out of the shadows, becoming more in the public eye. They have a lot of media attention and we're getting a lot of activity from regulators as well. That's also why we're seeing it uh, being more exposed 
exposed in the media. In terms of overseas, we're definitely seeing the same sort of activity that's been happening there for a number of years. But they are very much further down the road in terms of how negation is being used in response to some of the failures that have happened with organisations which have resulted in a data breach happening. So you said before that in your time at the police, you saw a lot of this. What sort of time frame are we talking about in terms of these sorts of cases? You know, is it in the last five years or is it in the last 20 years, 30 years? Yeah, so this was early 2000s. So we're talking 20 plus years ago. And a lot of the data that was being exfiltrated at that point would be going to the dark web as we hear about that now. But you just wouldn't have people trawling through the dark web, uh, searching and looking for that sort of information. Now, as soon as data is being uploaded to the dark web, there are so many organisations that are actually uh, looking for that information and making it very public to the world. So for an organisation that either wasn't aware or was aware and hadn't taken action, you've got a situation now where that information becomes very public for that organisation very quickly. So it's very important now for organisations to make sure they're taking any sort of uh, cyber risk for their organisation very seriously. Is it not just the increase in media focus on this, but also an increase in ransomware? Well, it's just an increase in terms of all criminals using this type of methodology Mm -hmm. to make money. So in my role in the police, I was part of the fraud and corporate crime group because the offences that I was actually investigating were pretty much looking at focused on making money. A lot of, and, and it was a very lucrative um, industry for these individuals to make the sort of money they were making. You fast forward to where we are these days and it's just uh, blown out in, in terms of proportion of um, the types of individuals and organisations they can target, the types of money they can extract and extort from these organisations. And with ransomware being at the, uh, to the tip of the spear in terms of how it will affect an organisation, that if they they don't have appropriate measures to be able to recover from a ransomware attack. Their only option is to pay the ransom to uh, continue operating their business because they won't have access to data systems. So it's it's critical that organisations are taking those appropriate steps to take this seriously. And, and the types of uh, ransoms that are being paid are just unbelievable sums of money. And so we are seeing more insurance claims in terms of these ransoms and more claims being paid out now than we have in the past? I would say that definitely there was a significant number of claims being made and, and then also being paid out, obviously being investigated as well uh, before they're being paid out. But it's began becoming very difficult for organisations now to even get insurance because of uh, the impact of that cost has had on the insurance industry. So the ability for an organisation now to even get cyber insurance, to even qualify for cyber insurance, they need to go through a number of steps to make sure they're at an appropriate level of mitigating cyber risk so that they can enter into that policy. And then also once an incident does happen, they have to also make sure that it's being investigated independently and that all those appropriate steps are being taken to make sure they've mitigated cyber risk and haven't breached the the terms of the policy. I imagine the insurance cover is really expensive as well. Yeah, the cost of the actual policies themselves are pretty eye-watering in a lot of organisations and now looking at other options to um, getting insurance, you know, whether they self-insure or just looking at spending that money in other means to protect themselves pre-breach. It is a difficult scenario to manage for for any organisation to manage the risk of whether they can or can't get that insurance and then how do they, they manage that risk if there is a breach. 
downstream. So circling back to the original question, I think what you're saying is that there has been a lot of activity overseas in the past and a little bit here in Australia that's been publicly known, but we're seeing a lot more activity now in Australia than we ever had before and probably going to see more going forward. Yeah, correct. I would predict the trajectory of this type of activity will just increase tenfold. It'll continue to get worse. The government is obviously very vocal about our country's response to cyber threats. And there's a number of competing factors that make it difficult to deal with cyber risk. Uh, And that includes having the right expertise here to be able to investigate uh, and mitigate these types of cyber risks. We have now seen four data breach class actions being brought in Australia against Optus and Medibank and one against Latitude. We've also seen in recent times, it's not a formal claim yet, but issues around law firm HWL in terms of cyber breach issues there. And I guess we may well see some class actions falling out of that potentially. What are these claims about and why are we seeing them now? I refer to these types of breaches as sort of mega breaches because they are very large scale and have massive impact both on the organisations that are the victim of the breach, but also the individuals or companies that are affected uh, whose data uh, may have been compromised and who are subsequently affected as a result of those breaches. With these mega breaches, you've got large organisations that have certain responsibilities placed upon them to ensure that they are protecting people's personal, private, confidential information. And the class actions that we are seeing are all focused on whether those organisations have failed to take steps to protect the information or failed to take those reasonable steps to protect information. And that reasonableness is a term that's very important in terms of when you're looking at these types of cyber breaches. And I would say that the reasonableness applies to different phases. And, and I would say there's three distinct phases that need to be looked at. The first being pre-breach. So whether the organization has taken reasonable steps to mitigate cyber risk prior to an actual incident happening. So that's the, that's the first uh, phase. Second phase is actually during a cyber breach so that once the organisation becomes aware that a cyber incident has happened, have they taken appropriate and reasonable steps to ensure that they are investigating that in a timely manner and in a, in a reasonable amount of resources, the right expertise uh, and response time so they're meeting all the requirements that they need to be considering for the organisation that they are. So whether they're a listed company having to respond respond to the ASX and to shareholders, whether they're critical infrastructure, whatever the case might be, um, they need to make sure that they could hand on heart look at their response and say that it was reasonable uh, in the steps that they have taken. Uh, and the final one also is post-incident. So again, after the incident has happened, have they taken all the reasonable steps post-incident to make sure that they've ensured that they have managed that risk and taken mitigation steps to stop it from happening? going forward. You talk about reasonableness. Given that we haven't seen a lot of these cases in the courts as yet, and there's no nice case law that defines what is reasonable and what isn't reasonable, I presume you would say that one of the key steps that an organisation should take, number one, don't bury your head in the sand and engage with experts in this area. So making sure that you go out and actually engage the right specialists would be, you would say, a very reasonable step to be taking? Yeah, definitely. So you've got a situation where an organization's had a breach 
they're trying to deal with it and they may have internal resources like an IT team, even they might have IT cyber teams, security teams that they can try to assist in looking at it initially. But they've also got a business as usual responsibility normally that they're trying to keep the business running to ensure it's, it's still commercial and profitable. So they really need to look at getting the right expertise in and normally that is someone external to the organisation. Time and time again, I see organisations relying on those internal IT teams that don't have that right expertise. They are very good at understanding their own environments, but they're not trained as investigators. They wouldn't have the right skill set to be able to run an investigation, have access to the right tools to know how to approach it. And I I see time and time again where an organisation has had the internal IT team conduct an investigation and then we come in post that and find a completely different outcome in terms of what's actually happened. Cases where we identify data being exfiltrated, large amounts of it, uh, and various systems that are still compromised that they weren't even aware of. So it is imperative that an organisation has that right expertise. So in terms of the reasonableness question, I would say if they don't have that right expertise from the outset, and that expertise, I would argue, is not just technical expertise from an incident responder, but it's also legal expertise in there as well because... Some of the questions that need to be answered are legal ones and some of them are technical ones and you need to know the difference between those two uh, in responding. And then depending on what comes out of the outcome of that investigation uh, is to have the right communications, access to the right communications expertise to deliver those messages to the relevant people in in that timely manner uh, to make sure that it's meeting all those requirements in terms of reasonableness from from a legal perspective as well. So what is clear from these cases is that privacy and cyber risk management and resilience should be considered an all-of-company issue. It's not just confined to the IT personnel. That's exactly what you're saying. In-house legal advisors, boards, risk and compliance teams need to be part of the cyber compliance team and conversation and the overall strategy. And that's going to feed into whether or not the response to the incident is reasonable. So claims are being brought against companies, but potentially against directors as well, making them personally liable for a failure to properly address cyber issues. Can you talk a little bit about the types of cyber breaches that we are seeing here in Australia? Yeah, sure. So it could be uh, a range of different ones where we're um, seeing, like I said before, the tip of the spear being the ransomware attack. So it's worst case scenario where they've totally encrypted all your systems and you've lost access to your data and your ability to operate as a business. You'll have business email compromise that normally coming through various attacks, but normally like a phishing email coming through to an individual that's being specifically targeted and they're clicking on links or being taken to a website where the credentials are are compromised. And we're also seeing the internal threat actor playing out here as well. So when we talk about cyber, a lot of people think straight away external, someone overseas, some hacker sitting in another country. That's not always the case. Uh, There are definitely cases I've worked on where the actual person behind the compromise was in internal and that's someone uh, something that you need to be thinking about as an investigator going in with that open mind and, and looking at all the different options. What you're saying there and what you said in answer to the previous question was that independence is also really important, that external view on a company, not just doing the investigation from the inside because you're going to miss things or you're going to take things for granted or make certain assumptions about things. So you need to have that fresh perspective coming in and actually looking at the whole of organisation. Yes, definitely. That is an aspect. The other aspect is that in some cases, it might be that the internal IT team may feel concerned that they have failed in their roles. Mm. Uh, So they're trying to take steps to 
maybe not bring all the information to light that needs to be uh, looked at. And again, just by that, it's putting the organisation in a compromising position. And just coming back to your point before, Pip, about directors, it is a difficult scenario for a director um, when they're asking, they may have someone in IT there and they turn to their IT person saying, look, in relation to all the cyber stuff, are we secure? And the IT person says, yeah, no, no worries, boss, we're secure. They need to take it that step further. That's where they need to still make sure that they're getting that external evaluation of their systems and their data. This is pre-breach. Pre-breach. Yeah, to make sure that they're not just purely relying on someone internally uh, giving them the thumbs up that, you know, a a reasonable approach, just relying on someone internally may be deemed to to not be reasonable, Uh, may be considered that they should have taken further steps to verify that they have taken all those appropriate steps. And again, it all comes down to the size of the organisation, the types of data that they hold. But any organisation of any significant size that holds personally identifiable information of any type or any sort of sensitive information that if it was to become public and it cause a drama, then they need to be thinking about, okay, are we taking all the right steps to, to protect that information? So you were talking about the three stages of reasonableness, essentially. The pre-cyber incident, the during the cyber, what would you be doing in the post? So in the post, um, it's lessons learned. So yeah. we've had the breach. We've had someone independently come in and look at uh, what actually were the indicators of compromise. How did they get access to our systems? And then you have to look at, okay, what steps have we taken to mitigate that risk going forward and ensuring that whatever the, the exposure was that we had, that that's now rectified going forward. I've been directly involved in cases where a particular organization has suffered a ransomware attack. All they've done is go to backup systems to recover their systems at a previous point in time and had done nothing in terms of the actual investigation. And all that happened was the threat actors have come in a couple of months later and then identified where the backups were, deleted the backups and then re-encrypted everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's when uh, Quartermenta were called in to to assist. So you need to be making sure that you've taken those reasonable steps because you might be going just back to a point in time where you still have that, that loophole in your environment where they can get in. So given that these types of claims are clearly on the rise, what should lawyers, funders, claimants look for when bringing a claim against a company when one of these cyber breaches does occur? What are the common things that companies do wrong or what do they miss that often results in these sorts of cyber breaches? Uh, I guess coming back to some of the previous points, I'll just highlight those where they're not treating it as an investigation. Um, They're just coming in and sort of fixing like an IT issue. It's not an IT issue. It's actually a data investigation that needs to be done and it needs to be appropriate and you need to have the appropriate expertise uh, in there. And it needs to be, in terms of the reporting that is done from that investigation, it needs to be a level that's robust and it's going to withstand scrutiny. So a third party could come in and look at that report, review that report and actually come up with the same findings. What are some of the the challenges to bringing a cyber breach claim? In, in that scenario, you'd probably have difficulties getting access to data that sits inside the organisation. So um, conducting investigation myself, going in to the various evidence sources that we would look at, you wouldn't have necessarily have that ability if you're looking at making a claim against the organisation. You may not have the visibility of the number of people and the types of data that is exposed. And in terms of the investigation that's being run, you may not have that visibility on on what the outcome of that report was of the investigation. So it may then create difficulties in terms of who is actually exposed to the data breach in terms of the individuals or companies and to what extent. But are you able to, um, if you're engaged by a 
law firm on behalf of a claimant subject to uh, privilege and confidentiality, obviously, but are you able to actually try and do your own investigation into it via the dark web? Is that something that you would be engaged to do? Uh, Not necessarily in relation to the dark web. We wouldn't normally gather data from the dark web because you're looking at certain uh, laws there that you may be breaching as a result of that. If you look at um, HWL Labsworth as an example of that, where there's now a court order in place about accessing that data. So you need to be very careful about how you would get access to the data. In terms of how we would normally assist would be providing the sorts of questions um, that need to be answered, the sorts of evidence that we would normally look at. So if a report was ever provided for review, was ever disclosed as part of the disclosure process, providing that expert advice as to whether the appropriate steps have happened in terms of initially identifying the correct evidence sources, were they analyzed correctly um, and how they've sort of presented that evidence because you can quickly get a picture as to whether the investigators have taken those appropriate steps from the outset and if they have missed evidence sources from the start of the investigation well that can have a flow-on effect to the credibility of the entire investigation and the report that they're relying upon. And so I, I suppose going back to your point about asking the right questions you could be feeding that information to the lawyers to be able to ask those questions of the party that you're actually suing to encourage them to continue their investigation to actually uncover the truth behind what's happening. Yeah, correct. And this is where I was talking before about all cyber incidents that we are involved with clients. We always, if they don't already have a legal advisor, it's one of the first things that we say to clients is you Mm -hmm. need to get some legal advice because as you just pointed out, Pip, there are legal questions that need to be answered and there are technical ones and they're not independent of each other. They need to, you need to work together to get the right answers. And you want to keep privilege in play as well in terms of the communications. Correct. Yeah, definitely plays a part. So we've seen uh, recently in relation to the Medibank and Optus cases, the involvement of the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner or the OAIC. What role does the OAIC have in Australia? Yeah, so their role is to both as a regulator have the ability to investigate potential breaches of the Privacy Act where there's potential for an individual's personally identifiable information or, or private information to be compromised and they have that ability to investigate and then also hand out civil penalties as a result. Uh, And that could apply to an individual or it could also apply to company as well. And what sorts of penalties are we talking about? Have we seen lots of penalties in Australia today? No, we haven't. So RO Boss, which was a case that sort of recently happened, but that was an enforcement action uh, from ASIC where we saw uh, penalties coming out as a result of that, but not from the OAIC. Um, they have recently increased the level of penalties that do apply So and significantly increased those. We're looking at two and a half million for an individual as a maximum. And then also in terms of a, a corporate body, an amount not exceeding uh, 50 million or 30% of a uh organization's turnover. So that's quite a lot. It, it, mm. it, and that's where it adds up to be quite a significant fine for uh, for an organization if they haven't taken those appropriate steps. Mm. And I think that really sort of brings it home to me at least about how important it is for companies to be properly dealing with these issues at the outset even before the cyber breach occurs because what you're saying is that there's reputational impact and there's business impact obviously. But now we're seeing the potential for claims being brought class actions which can have a very large financial impact on 
the company, particularly if they're self-insured and they don't have insurance, as you said before, some of them are doing. But also not only is the financial impact from class actions or claims, but they now also got the penalty provisions from the OIC, which, as you said, can be really significant. So the importance of doing proper review at those three stages that you talked about to avoid the claim, but then immediately in the aftermath of it to fix and then afterwards to fix any problems that you see, I think is um, really bringing it home for me anyway about how important this issue is for for businesses to to address properly. Let me just add, look, I think any organisation uh, is subject to a cyber breach. No one's immune and it's it's definitely only a matter of time before someone will have a cyber incident. They might not even know that they're involved in a cyber incident. So it really comes down to that question of they need to be taking those reasonable steps. So at the board level, the directors need to be looking at are they taking all those appropriate steps so hand on heart when that breach does happen that they can say that they've taken those reasonable and appropriate steps so if the regulator come knocking, that they're in that comfortable position to say, yes, we've had a breach, but we have taken those reasonable steps. And that's all you can ask because, yeah, no one's new. Well, thank you for your time, Brendan. It is an incredibly interesting topic and one that we will watch with interest. Thanks, Pip. Great to be here. Hi there. That's a wrap for the Legal Insights podcast for today. We hope you have picked up some useful tips and tricks and enjoyed listening to all things legal finance. If you want to continue the conversation, please reach out via email or via the website associationoflitigationfunders.com.au. We would love to discuss what you are seeing in the legal finance industry and what we can do to enhance and improve it together. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.